little quiz this morning. We're still small enough where we can quiz, and this is a little, uh, I guess it's, you're really not an audience, you're a community. So a little communal back and forth banter. Has anybody heard of, in their church experience, something called the Ten Commandments? Did I, I said something funny? A Ten Commandments? I mean, this is the Big Ten. I mean, they are so dangerous that they've taken them out of schools because the rationale is if they're in schools, then kids, they may just read them. And if kids read the Ten Commandments, oh my goodness, then they may actually act upon them. And if they act upon them, well, that's just going against their right to be fresh. I'm not quite sure. But I mean, these are the Big Ten. So you've heard of these things. Okay, good. Who can tell me the first one? Not a trick question. It's really not. I mean, Alvin. Bam, there it is. All right, good. So now there's a whole bunch of other things going on in there. You know, you got number two and number three. And those are the big ones because God's like, don't mess with me. You know, he's, he's like, you know, pay attention to me. And then, and then it goes to us, and, and it kind of like focus on us. We've always talked about the Ten Commandments being like JV stuff. It, it's it's kind of like we can't even get the top ten right, so we're, we're, we need a Savior. But who can tell me, oh, you know what I need? I need my zucchini. I need, it's, it should be in, in the thing over there. I'm sorry. Thank you, sir. That's my bad. All right, so who can tell me number 10? Come on, sing the song, remember the flannel graph, whatever you got to do. No, no, that's... That's, that's, I think that's three. That's three. Ian. Ish. Okay, how old are you? Twelve. He got it. Good job, man. So, so did you hear it? Anybody back here want to give it a shot that maybe you didn't hear it? What was it? Wife or goods? Yes, wife or goods. That's a good one. Anybody else? The goods or the wife don't cut. All right. Here's what it says in Exodus. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant. Anybody have a male or female servant? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why we have children, right? Excellent. Or, or hey, Rob, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Uh, okay, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And, <laughs> all right, we're going to take a minute and pray for Rob. <laughs> well, I think we're praying for Rob because of, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to stand over here this morning because it might be dangerous over there. So it says, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, in the Hebrew, the word covet means to desire greatly. And it's almost, it's almost a, it almost lends itself to being an unhealthy desire for, to be envious of, to be jealous of. Today, we would say something like, you know, you've got to try to keep up with the Joneses. You know, they have that really cool John Deere tractor. I need one. <laughs> Because, I mean, they can't, I can't be outdone by them. Or they have that car. 
or they have that bigger house, or, man, they got the iPad too. I need the camera too. I mean, right? So, so there's this unhealthy desire to have something that you don't have, a, an unhealthy desire, a jealousy, or to become envious of something that someone else has and you want. And it includes everything or anything, including wives. Now, I have taken steps to ensure that no one covets my wife. I sprinkled her with man repellent. No, I'm serious. It's called, it's called children. And, 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 and I, I, have, I have done that. And, and I, have, I have taken the extra step to go with the extra strength brand. It's called Ethan. So, so we are safe in that realm. Okay? But to covet is to covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, we have to look at something here, what, what, what this whole idea of coveting really is, what this command is really speaking to. Because this is, this is number 10. This is the climax of the Ten Commandments. So there's something going on here. And coveting is a process that takes place in here. It's not something that's external, though externally we might see the consequence of coveting, but coveting takes place inside of you. It takes place in your heart. And so the Big Ten end with this heart condition of you shall not covet anything, anything in your, of your neighbor. And now I have to, I have to admit, um, I owe a lot of my thought process this morning to a book that I'm reading, which is just kind of knocking my socks off, uh, called True Spirituality by Francis Schaeffer. I would highly recommend it. It's, it's an older book, but whoa, it's just like, yeah. but so, so I need to give him credit for, for a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning. When you break a commandment, we all do, we are actually breaking two commandments. You break the one that you're breaking, whether you're stealing, whether you're dishonoring your parents, whether you've murdered, whatever it is, you break that commandment and you also break this one because the breaking of the commandments finds itself as a heart condition. And the heart condition is this idea of coveting, this unhealthy desire to want something that you don't have or that somebody else has. Now, follow me on this because we're going to get to a place eventually at the end of this all Jesus was asked when he was in his ministry a very important question of his day, a question that everyone wrestled with. What's the most important commandment? And, and, and rabbis would continue. That, that was rhetorical, Will. <laughs> and the rabbis would argue over what, I mean, there's like over 600 of them. What's the most important one? And Jesus would answer this. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind. And what else? In your soul, and huh? Kind of weak. You guys got to go back. Tim, where's Tim? We got to get Sunday school going here, guys. And love your neighbor as yourself. So pretty much the greatest commandments: you love God, you love people. You love God, and you love people. And when we don't love the Lord the way that we should, we covet against Him. Because we desire something more than we desire God. We have put something in front of God other than Him. 
And Romans chapter 1 says that is sin, to make something in your life ultimate other than your relationship with God. And if we don't love our neighbor as ourself, we covet against them. We have put our desire, an unhealthy desire, for stuff before we actually love our neighbor. And so you see, coveting is this thing that's, that's, that's in our heart. It's, it's, it's this desire that has just run rampant. But, I mean, we have to ask ourselves a question. Is it wrong to have desires? Is it wrong to want things? The, the Bible says over and over again that God will give the desires of your heart to you. And so is it wrong to have desire? Well, yes and no. Schaefer would describe it this way. Desire becomes sin when it fails to love God or when it fails to love your neighbor. And so the question comes down to this for us. Do we love God enough to be content in our life? And do we love our neighbor enough not to be envious of material possessions? And here's the catch. See, left to our own vices, this seemingly simple commandment, don't covet, don't have an unhealthy desire for stuff, is impossible for us to live. Covetness throughout the Bible is one of those things that is called living by a sinful nature, living by the flesh, living in the world. And a sinful nature finds its foundations, its root, I mean, the sin is the root of our death, both, both in this life and in the life to come. But there's another way to live. There's another way to engage life. There's another way to set your mind and your heart and kind of link them together and move through life in a different way. It's called living by the Spirit. And so there's this battle that rages on with the sinful nature and life in the Spirit. Now we've got to go to Romans and we've got to look at this. We've got to kind of leave this Exodus story a little bit here. There you go. I can see how to shake it. Romans 8, verse 6. The mind controlled by the sinful nature is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So a mind that is set... In this sinful nature, or the flesh, or the world, Paul uses many words to describe this whole idea, cannot please God, and it will lead to death in all of its nuances. Death eternal, and even just a life that just seems like it's trudging along, and you're just barely surviving, and things just, just, things just don't feel right, and you just feel like you're in this darkness all the time. See, that's what the sinful nature brings. It brings about death today, and death in the future. But a mind that's controlled by the Spirit is something very different. A mind controlled by the Spirit brings life, and it brings peace. And this is not necessarily 
peace of mind. This is not peace of God, but this is the peace with God. This is talking about our justification that we have been made, we have been found innocent in the eyes of God. And I know this is an unpopular idea that we wrestle with in our culture today, but you see, there's no neutral place. You can't just land in the middle somewhere. It's really one or the other. It's either the sinful nature or it is a mind that's controlled by the Spirit. And without the mindset, without the Spirit at work in your life, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you, we, or whoever become hostile toward God. And because you are hostile toward God, you cannot live a life that pleases Him. You can't submit to His will, to His purposes, and to His laws. And so we live outside of the harmony. And I use this word very... uh, I mean, I've chosen this word, harmony, because that's what walking with God is. We think it's all about rules and all about these things we got to get done right, and we have to follow, and we have to follow, and we have to follow. No, no, no. God says, I've given you a harmony to walk in. So just choose, choose life. Choose a mind that's controlled by the Spirit. Because every person that's outside of Jesus Christ. It's controlled by this, this, this sin thing, the sinful nature. And, it's, and, and, and we're born with it. It's part of our DNA. I mean, just look at children. You do not have to teach a child to be selfish. They got that all by themselves. Sandy works at, at a daycare, and these kids bite, push, kick. I mean, it's, it's, they know how to misbehave quite well. But you have to teach a child to share. I would argue you have to teach some adults to share, but we won't go there. But you have to, so it's part of our, our DNA. And as we grow, then we take this, this selfishness and it starts to evolve. And we want, we want stuff. We have a desire for stuff. We have a desire for money. We have a desire for, for power and for things. We have a desire for position in life. And these are all just symptoms of the same illness. It's the symptom of self-gratification, which finds its roots in this idea of coveting. That we have this unhealthy desire for things other than the love or the good of our neighbor or the love of God. Now, when Paul is talking about this whole idea of, of sin, he is... He is lumping everything into one big ball. This is, this is everything that we can think of that is self-destructive, that is self-centered, rebellion against God. This is what the sinful nature is. Anything that pulls us away from loving God or anything that will pull us away from loving our neighbor. But here, I am here not to just beat up on you all. I'm here to tell you that there is good news in all of this for the follower of Jesus. You, however, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, this is Paul, right? This is, this is Romans, okay? Remember I told you, if, if God gives me till I'm 60 years old with you, I, will, I think I'll be ready to teach through Romans because Romans will mess with you. I mean, it's one of those books that I think, Peter, I think it's in Second Peter. Peter's like, so, yeah, I heard you've been reading Paul. Good luck. I mean, because because what do you, I mean, he's just, he just nails it and he gets so deep within what God wants from us and what the spirit of God does for us. So what he's saying here is you, Christian, you follower of Jesus, you Jesus follower, those of you who walk by faith that are on this spiritual journey, you are no longer controlled by the sinful nature but you are controlled by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. Within you. Inside you. Nothing superficial there. You belong to something new. Something that gives life. Something that's righteous. And so in that moment of justification, where you have been declared innocent, Spirit of God comes upon you. Now, our bodies, well, we, we still get old and, and things kind of break down and we're still tempted by sin. And many times we'll give into that temptation and, and we do sin. But because of Christ, we have been declared innocent. Do you understand what that means? You have been declared innocent in the eyes of the Creator. You are no longer empowered, indebted to sin. You have the life of Christ in you. Now, this doesn't let us off the hook very easy because this, we still need to grow in our relationship with Christ. We still need to deepen our relationship with Christ. We still get pushed and pulled by this world. And the Spirit of God continues to correct us and to lead us and to guide us and to speak to us. And he's leading us into righteousness. And we all need to experience the good things of the Lord. We all need every once in a while those, those things where we just see God moving because it, it builds faith in us. And I do believe that we still need those trials in our life because that matures our faith. And so the relationship just doesn't become stagnant because you've been justified. There still is work on our part, but from that moment of, for lack of a better word, conversion, from that moment, you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you. The Holy Spirit of God is living in you. Now, because sin is still pretty rampant through our world, I mean, the world is broken. I mean, God's plan is to restore it, and he will get to that. But right now, it's, it's still broken. We all will suffer physical death. These bodies deteriorate and they break down and they fall apart. I, I've just been experiencing uh, for the last year, you know, I, I can't see. And, 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 and I call it the trombone effect, you know. You try to slide it in until you, you focus. And, and I notice that when I'm reading on my couch and I look up to see what time it is on the clock, it's just one big blurry mess. So I had to go to the eye doctors and I need glasses. Now, I haven't worn them in front of you yet because I'm still a little weird about it, but, but I'm, I'm working through it, you know. Um, I'd be more comfortable with my sunglasses on instead of these. You know, it was like, 
the last thing that wasn't broken on me is now broken. And, and so I'm, I'm having a little trouble with that. But it's part of the sinful nature that the, the world is encompassed by. The world is broken and our bodies will deteriorate and we will die. But we have the promise the promise of life because we have the spirit of righteousness. And so what Paul is getting at here is our mortal bodies are bound to this earth, but within us we possess the indwelling of the spirit of God, which, which allows us, strengthens us to live victoriously today, in this moment, right now. You can live a life that is victorious in Jesus Christ with the promise of freedom from condemnation and life eternal. And the Bible will tell us, the scriptures tell us that, that there's a transformation that's going to take place in the end of, of these physical bodies. And so that's, that's good news. But see, Paul just doesn't let it hang there. He continues. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is, this is a serious warning here. This is something can, that cannot be taken lightly. This is something that cannot be ignored. Our death to sin doesn't give us a free ride to do whatever we want. It doesn't give us a free ride to live our lives in a stupid way. It doesn't give us the free ride. Remember we talked about grace a while ago. It was a long while ago. We said grace is not an excuse but it's the reason why we ascribe to following Jesus in holiness. And so we put to death the deeds of the sinful nature. Paul insists over and over again that the work of Christ on the cross is sufficient. There's nothing that you can add to it. It is complete. It is perfect. But because of that work, we are called to live and walk in holiness. We are called to this progressive sanctification. Our lives, each one of you, me, becoming more and more like Jesus every day, a little at a time, taking steps in that direction. And the spirit that has freed us is the same spirit that will strengthen us to live this life that God has called us to that will strengthen us on this journey that he has called us to. And so this whole text in Romans brings us back to Exodus 20. Thou shall not covet anything. All right, I'm going to think this through a little bit. To not love God, the way we should, we covet against God. And so we have these desires. And when those desires run rampant, when they get out of control, we are in real danger. We're in real danger of forgetting that either God is God, we're in danger of, or of, of, of not allowing ourselves or putting ourselves in a place to be submissive to God. And we've said this over and over again here. This is nothing new. It shouldn't be anything new to you. That the beginning of contentment is a heart of 
thankfulness. The opposite of covetousness is being content. And the beginning of content is a heart of thankfulness. We are called to give thanks to the Lord for everything. And the Bible over and over again reminds us of these ideas. We just looked at it last week, Ephesians 5. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for the Lord's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then these verses. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is giving thanks not just in the good things, not just in the things that we're enjoying. This is about everything. This is about the sorrow. This is about the pain. This is about the struggle. This is about the battle. This is giving thanks to God in everything. And I know this is very difficult for us to get our minds around because some of you are going through very difficult things right now. Hurtful things, things that are changing the course of your life. Some of you have been there, and I'm sure eventually some of you will get there. And it's hard to give thanks when when those things are coming at you full force. But you see, the word of God doesn't give us any wiggle room. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't give us option. This is, this is his commands to, to us as people that we would give thanks to him. Now, I have to say, this is not about us being thankful that all of these bad things are happening to us. This is not like, woo, yeah, this person died. Awesome. This is not that at all. This is about being thankful that the love of God is sufficient for you. This is about being thankful that the love of God is always with you and that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you that he walks with you through your pain and through your trials and through those tribulations. And I believe that the Lord sheds tears as you cry. And he, he just longs to put his arms around us and move with us through those things. This is the thing that we're supposed to be thankful for. And even if we break it down that way, it's still hard to get our mind around being thankful to the Lord. No one No one wants to go through something difficult. And see, God knows how important it is for us to maintain this heart of thankfulness. Because in Romans chapter 1, again, it tells us that the beginning of humanity's rebellion against God, part of it began with, we no longer thanked him. We no longer lived in thankfulness to who God is and in It starts there. It started there. There was a lack of contentment in the garden. They wanted something that they couldn't have. They coveted that fruit and they took it and they chose not to give thanks to God. And it's been rampant throughout history that our rebellion against God finds its root in this heart of thanklessness. 
And so contentment, contentment is the understanding that we have a very personal God, a God that we can call Abba, which is daddy. I've told you this story before, and I think it's worth telling again. I was in an airport somewhere around, I don't know what country it was, and I was standing in a really long line, and in front of me was a a family. I I guess they were from Israel, but they spoke Hebrew. And I remember the little baby getting all freaked out. It it was, I don't know, maybe a year old, maybe a little older. Baby's getting all freaked out, and, and he or she, I don't remember, reaches up their hands to their father, and, and, and this little baby goes, Abba, Abba. And it just struck me, that's the kind of father we have. And this dad came down and picked up this little baby and held, held him or her in his arms. That's our very personal God. And when we don't trust him, when we don't trust him, we deny everything we say that we believe. And so we have this very personal, intimate Father, Daddy. But we also have the Creator of all things. He is our Father too. And He is in charge and control of everything, even when things look like they're out of control. No, God is in control of everything, of every battle, of every shortcoming, even the spiritual battles that rage on in the heavenlies. And if we don't trust that, we find ourselves doubting that we're even in the right place at the right time. You're not here by, by, by um, I don't even know the word I'm looking for, by oops, by mistake. I know there's a bigger word, but I don't know what it is right now. What is it? No, it's even bigger. Coincidence. Who said that? That's the big word. See, that's a $4 word on a Sunday morning. So, so we're not here by coincidence. We have to find our place and trust that God has put us here for a reason and for a purpose. And what is that purpose? It's your job to figure it out follow. And so lack of contentment, lack of thanksgiving is not loving the Lord our God like we should. And if we don't love the Lord our God like we should, we covet against him. But there's a flip side of this whole thing. It's to love our neighbor as ourself. If we are envious against our neighbor, if we are jealous against our neighbor, if we don't love them the way that we should, we covet against them. And what does that look like? Well, let's throw this out there. It's when our desire, and this is, this is according to Schaefer, is when our desire creates in us a mindset where we have a secret satisfaction at our neighbor's misfortune. Hmm, very interesting. Now, don't sit there and go, you know, I've, I've, never, I've never been happy when one of my neighbors, something bad happened to them. I've never taken any pleasure in that because Jesus has taught us who our neighbor is. It's not just your friends. It's not just your neighbors on this side of you, uh, either side of your home. Your neighbor is that person you might not have anything in common with. Your neighbor is the person who believes differently from what you believe. Your neighbor is the person you might not get along with. And so for you to say, I have never had pleasure in somebody losing something or any satisfaction in that, when it comes to your neighbor, I would say, you're lying. Because somewhere in our lives, we've thought, man, they they had that coming. They had that coming. 
I could have seen that coming a mile away, but they had that coming. And we covet against our neighbor. You see, when we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, we, we, we go against the man that Jesus gave us. We covet. And when we don't love the Lord our God with all our mind and our heart and soul, we covet against him. We put something in front of him. And it comes down to, are you content in your life? Are you thankful for what you have now? Are you thankful for the things that God has given you already? Has your desires become sinful because now they, those desires have become more important than your relationship with your neighbors and your relationship with God? And so if we look at it in this way, this idea of coveting, it, move, it, it should drop us to our knees in repentance because, man, we, we are all guilty of it. But remember what it said in Romans. You are no longer controlled by your sinful nature. You are no longer there. But Christ and his spirit has moved you over here. And you are controlled by the spirit. But we all don't follow the spirit like we should. And we all ignore it. And there's this tension that we all have. But it's God's will that we would take steps every day. And I say this over and over again. Your life will become more and more and more like Jesus. We have the Spirit of God to strengthen you. We have the Spirit of God to empower us. And we have the Spirit of God that has freed us into something amazing. Now, as we've been moving through Lent, we started out with this idea of a spiritual spring cleaning. This is the time to prepare for Easter. This is a time to analyze and look at our relationship with God and, and make some changes. And as we've been doing over, over these weeks, we've taken time at the end of our services to kind of think things through and meditate a little bit, to be quiet. It's hard to be quiet. We don't like quiet. Actually, everyone craves quiet, but when it happens, we don't like it because it makes us uneasy. And it's hard to find times where you can just sit quietly and reflect on your relationship with God. So I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning. You can thank me later. And, and, and as we've been doing these past few weeks, um, I'm going to lead you through a, a short meditation. This is not the end of it, though. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of your spiritual rebirth. Spring is a time of rebirth. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. And so, uh, I'm going to walk to the back because I don't want you to look at me. And you can bow your heads and we're just going to take a few minutes. You can begin with this prayer silently in your heart. Come, Holy Spirit. I am here and I am listening. 
Now ask the Lord to show you where in your life you lack contentment or thankfulness. Where has your desires turned sinful against God? In what ways have you not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? Visualize that feeling. Name it. Now release it. Repent from it. Turn away from it. Ask God for forgiveness. Receive that forgiveness. Accept what you have been forgiven. Now ask the Lord to work in your heart a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of contentment. Now, where in your life are you envious of someone else, of what they have? Where do you lack contentment for the things you might not have? Where has your heart grown cold? And hard to the love of your neighbor. Name that thing. Visualize it. Be open and honest with yourself that you are in an unhealthy place.
and now you can see. Ask the Lord's forgiveness. Receive that forgiveness. And be assured you are now forgiven. And now look into your heart and see if you need to go to a certain person or a group of people and ask for forgiveness. Ask God to strengthen you for that. Now pray that the Lord would show you what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. As we've been releasing things over these few weeks in Lent, remember on Good Friday, this room will be open for some quiet meditation and reflection. And you can nail whatever it is to that cross. You can lay it at the foot of that cross. And at 6.30, we'll celebrate a stations of the cross uh, for Good Friday. And then if you've left anything there, Easter Sunday, gone. Tomb is empty. We have Let me pray for you guys. God, we want to thank you for grace and mercy. And, and Lord, as your word corrects and leads and guides us, God, don't let us just be hearers of that word, but strengthen us to be doers and show us continually over and over again, that we would die to ourself and live in the power of the Spirit for the good of the kingdom and the good of our neighbors. That we would love people the way you've called us to and that our hearts would be open to loving you more and more. That we would be Jesus to the world every day. So we thank you. We thank you that even 
even in the hardness of taking spiritual inventory, you are still a God of grace and a God of mercy. And we have confidence in your love for us. We stand before you because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Amen.